127 on the mic exists simply as an extension of our college ministry, 127 at FBC Brian. Our prayer is that this podcast be used in accordance with you belonging and investing into a local body. We hope that this resource is growing in a relationship with and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, yo, it's the podcast crew back in the conference room looking to spice up the room with a little bit of fire like the spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit, fire, water. Water on Caleb's jacket. <laughs> he just dumped water on himself. <laughs> yeah, right over there. Yeah. Hey, can you just explain what happened? Uh, I was trying to drink some water and I missed? miscalculated where my mouth was. Do you calculate each time you uh, each time you drink water? I I don't. <laughs> At least I don't think I do. <laughs> do you calculate time every single time? That was just the first word that came to my mind. Uh, okay, gotcha. Just just to miss the mark. Yeah. 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 That's just what I'm, I'm. What you been up to today, bro? Uh, me? Yeah. I I don't know if I want to bore the. Uh, you want to bore the audience. bore the audience with I feel like everyone throughout the week is like, what does John do? What does the week? John do during? He just teaches and then he just hangs prays. out, just praying in his office. <laughs> That's all he does. I hope for the spirit to. Uh, bring please, him a word. please. Um, that would be grand. No, this morning I got up and I came up here. Mm-hmm. I had to cancel two discipleship appointments this morning, which were really sad. Uh, but because all of the the stuff for the coffee shop was either being delivered or had to be modified in some way. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff has to happen before tomorrow. Um, and when you're opening a coffee shop, I'm learning like all this stuff like has to happen yeah. and it has to happen like all at once. Mm-hmm. And so Thursday and Friday and Saturday, today and tomorrow and the next day are going to just be nuts, insane. And that's okay because uh, we want to get this thing opened up. So I came up here and I met the coffee guy who brought brought our roasted beans those were yeah i didn't look at them but i saw the bags the bags look nice those are nice bags from polite very very nice coffee coffee company yeah they're very it's polite um and then we had (laughs) then we had to put in an order to change two of the electrical receptacles that's a fancy word that was electrical i could have rhymed looking like a metronome uh because they spec the wrong ones for the coffee shop so we had to get those switched before tomorrow wow so that was an electrician has to jump on that and we had some conversations with the plumber about a few things that need to be done and then i I was waiting for the milk delivery Mm. literally there's a milkman that's bringing his stuff and so Aiden just sparked up right there yeah and so the milk delivery is uh is happening and then we just did a, a few new building things, and then uh, Ethan and I went to Salad and Go. Nah. Uh, you won't like it, but it was actually phenomenal. Oh. And for those of you that care about salads, six fifty for the salad, and it was great. Um, it's better than the $10 salad you're going to get anywhere else. I'll say that. But they have this breakfast thing that I found out today. For $9.99, you go and get a breakfast burrito. $999? $9.99. $999 pennies. Okay. You go get a breakfast burrito, a cup of cold brew, and your salad. And so you get breakfast and lunch for $10. Uh-uh. Uh, you do. I promise. That's what it is. And and I, I got like a chicken, like a cob salad with grilled chicken on it. It's great. Jalapeno ranch. Where is this place at? Uh, where Kettle was in, on Texas. Oh, okay. The one they destroyed. That's what they put in the parking lot. Was mm. salad and go. And then I came back here. And then... You guys started showing up. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm trying That's to when think. the day turned around. Yeah, we were doing some coffee cup stuff, and then we were going to start the podcast, and then it got interrupted by an impromptu meeting, support staff meeting that you guys had to go to. See, and I was on support staff. Apparently, I, I didn't know that, but I know it now. <laughs> apparently. Thanks. Apparently, you're a support staff. Um, and then Sierra came in my office about five minutes after that meeting started, and I said, hey, there's an impromptu <laughs> support staff meeting you should probably go to. She's like, will it be weird if I walk in? I was like, yeah. Yeah. So she said, I'm not going. I said, she didn't miss much. Okay. I told her to talk to you guys about it afterwards because impromptu meetings that they don't send invitations to, it's hard to hold people, you know, yeah, accountable for not being there. So that that's my, that's my Thursday, but I'm not done yet because it's only two twenty three, seven, but close. You said seven. Oh, that clock up there, one twenty seven. No, two twenty three. Colorado time, one twenty seven. No, they're not four minutes or fifty six minutes behind us. That'd be weird. They're an hour behind us. Yeah, so two twenty three. It'd be one twenty three. 127. Your watch is so not right. My phone says 227 too. 227 on the clock. Oh, what am I looking at? Yeah, you're wrong. Caleb? Everything is broke on my iPad and everything else. What'd you do today? Not we're getting, much. We're getting day in the lives. Not much today. It's been a chill day. Chill day? Yeah. I have to ask. After yesterday, Rangers went down. Mm-hmm. Two to one series lead. Yeah. Yeah. Who you got? Updated predictions. You still going? Yeah. My predictions don't change. Rangers and six. Rangers and six. Yeah. Who you got? Uh, it can't be Rangers and six because Houston will sweep Texas at home. <laughs> he just laughed over there. And so the only way, the only way that's going to happen is if it's Rangers and seven. See, mm-hmm. I, like I, that's a fair point because Astros are great on the road, but, but we're also great at home. No, they're seven and one against you guys at home. It's a terrible argument. Yeah, but that, but if you're you not those, great against them at home, that's fair. But again, those games that we played them at home were all in situations where we were not playing well before that, and so we were already in a bad stretch. Whereas we're in like, I would say the best. We've been playing the best baseball of our season. Uh, again, like the three games that they swept us in September, that those were partially outliers because we were hurt. We didn't have Evan Carter then. Uh, I want to say we were hurt as well, a little bit. We were we, but we've been more hurt than I, y'all. Just the playoff, the playoffs. You just can't go back and look at things. And all, also, I can, all I can say is the Rangers just got no hit over two games. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't get a hit for nine straight innings from the r- From remainder of game middle two of game two, two so in one game. So they got no hit over two games. They I mean, got they got no hit through nine innings spread out over two games. We could say the same for the Astros because the Astros scored zero and then in they the second game they didn't score till. No, listen, I said a no hitter, not getting scored. The Astros were hitting the ball. They just didn't score. They had the bases loaded twice in no game hitter. one. They had the bases loaded once in game two and they just couldn't score. That's a whole different issue. If they can't hit the ball with the bases loaded, they're going to lose. True. But it's hard to go. Well, the Rangers are playing great and then they got no hit over nine innings for a team that is has to rely on their hitting because they're going to get beat down from their pitching. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I still think Rangers in six. Okay. All right. I think Who we, you got? What's your... You're uh, going to say something. Hold your thought. I'm going to go Astros in seven. I think, Astros in I seven. I think we win today, lose tomorrow, and win game six on the road. Okay. I just like it. I, I think Houston's got to win one game at home. But also... That's what I've been saying. I will say if tomorrow is, if tomorrow is proper rest, which I think it'll be because, I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday. Yeah, so... Proper rest. It'll probably tomorrow will probably be Verlander versus Montgomery, yeah. and I like our odds on that again. I don't know. I think our bats our bats awaken on the. Yeah, hey, done awakened. <laughs> Speaking of well, awakening, we'll 
it's it's been a it's been a series. I mean, oh yeah, anybody that expected it to be a sweep either way or a five game series is they don't know what they're talking about. It could still be a five game series. Could be, maybe. Bloop, bloop. Who knows? I don't know. All I don't know is just who's going to get beat by Philly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Golly, they look Philly good. good. Philly, Philly's playing slap, a slap, 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 Philly's slap. playing a team that won eighty four games. Slap, 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 slap. <laughs> True. The Diamondbacks, like. Every article that I've read, they're talking about this Wiley Coyote syndrome, where it's the team that going into the playoffs is just Coyote. like not very good, and then when the playoffs happen, they like win a bunch of games, and then they finally come back down to earth, and they realize we weren't as good as we, everybody thought we were. Hashtag Texas Rangers. But the Texas and <laughs> see that there's a difference between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. First of all, the Diamondbacks were not ever in contention to win their division. Like after I think like June, everybody realized okay, this team is a wild card team at best. Second, or in in contrast to that, the Rangers were the division leaders for the entire year until not the entire year. Basically, like the for like four year. four days of the year, they were not in first place. So there's one difference. Two it goes longer than that. But the Rangers, from top to bottom, are a much better team than the Diamondbacks, even though the the six game difference doesn't show that. Part of that again is because the the NL the NL West is a terrible division. the The Padres were not good this year. The Rockies were terrible. Um, who else am I forgetting? The Giants were mid. So, and and they beat the Diamondbacks, or they beat the Brewers, who are not a good team, and they beat the Dodgers, who had no starting pitching. So, the Phillies are good, but they're. It's not like the Phillies are the greatest team ever. They're gonna. The Phillies are gonna lose in the World Series, whoever they play. Well, <laughs> well, that's it for the uh, World Series podcast. We'll catch you guys here next. Yeah, uh, good, uh, good stuff. I don't. I don't have any counter to that. I have a bunch no. of them, but we need to get on. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. Uh, awakening. You mentioned awakening earlier. Those bats are awakened. Uh, this is Holy Spirit Part Two. So if you missed last week, um, you don't need to listen to last week before you watch this one, unless someone references something from last week. But it probably will be beneficial to you. So uh, if you haven't been able to listen to the episode titled "Who Is the Holy Spirit," do that. But we're starting off hot. Right off the rip. We said we were going to... Oh, my gosh, it's Jason. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, I said I was going to ask this at the end of last episode. Didn't get the chance to. So, what is the day of Pentecost? I think when people think of the Holy Spirit, they think of the day of Pentecost. Um, and just some following questions for you that you can hit off on or disregard. That's okay, too. Uh, what did believers do before that day without the Holy Spirit? Uh, and, like, did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Was it in a different capacity? Or basically just what is the day of Pentecost and why is it important? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're reading Acts, you would be tempted to think that Pentecost is just this new thing. Um, but Pentecost comes from the Old Testament. And so uh, there's an article I'm reading that the Greek word for Pentecost literally means the 50th. That is the 50th day after the Passover or in this case, after Jesus's death. And so basically in the Old Testament... God commanded the Israelites on the 50th day after the Passover. The Passover is when God passed over um, their doorstep and didn't kill their firstborn sons because they had put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so God passed over, didn't judge the Israelites. And so the 50th day after that, God told them to do Pentecost, which was a feast. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on where exactly that feast was for, but I think it was for to just celebrate, to celebrate the Passover. And so mm -hmm. um, basically 
This article is saying that since Jesus had appeared to his disciples after his resurrection during 40 days, it had only been about 10 days since his ascension, the not many days from now of his promise to them in chapter one, verse five. And so Luke describes this event as being again, Pentecost in Acts chapter two being 50 days after Jesus's ascension. And so we have to see the connection that Jesus's ascension is, or sorry, his death and resurrection is our Passover, that he has covered us by his blood, that the judgment of God has passed from us. And now his ascension is, is supposed to be our celebration. And then Pentecost is again, another celebration that God has been with us, that he's covered us by his blood. And then we're going to see how just the, the acts of Pentecost in Acts chapter two kind of connect to that. So kind of keep that in your mind as we discuss this. This was, Pretty straightforward. I mean, he connected the Old Testament to the New. Um, it's it's easy, and it, you should connect the day of Pentecost to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. But understanding the runway up to that point is is important. So uh, that's it. He nailed yep. it. I think a question that that arises. I think I think we talked about this during Bromans. Was that two years ago? Sure. Um, we got into Acts chapter two, and I forget where it is. Um, you're probably going to remember this because you're the one that dumbfounded me. And so I want to dumbfound everyone else. Come on. Uh, like the spirit, the spirit came at Pentecost, but there was like a, I kept using the word delay, but I, I'm forgetting where it was. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Come on, Acts chapter eight. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. There's Acts chapter eight and then Acts chapter 19 as well. You have secondary. They're turning their bobbles. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I don't remember where it is. I'm not going to remember. It's- do you want me to just describe what you're talking about? Yes, that would be fantastic because so, I'm, I'm going to be dumbfounded again. So Yeah, so basically they're at Pentecost, the Spirit of God descends on everybody and they be, when they believe, and so the Spirit enters into them. And so the theological principle that we, that we have to know is that at the moment of belief, when you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit comes to live inside of you. And yet this... this um, not condition. What's the, this event, let's just say in, in Acts chapter eight, um, if I can find exactly what verse it is, it's going to be yeah, so, 17, 16, 17, somewhere. Right. So I'm just going to start for 14 in context. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them, Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy spirit. And so basically the two things you need to note there is that the apostles at Jerusalem, the church started in Jerusalem and they heard that Samaria, this, this Gentile region or this region of people that aren't completely ethnically Jews, they've heard the word of God and they've believed it. And so the, the church in Jerusalem sends to them, Peter and John, so that they may receive the Holy Spirit. And so you should have this check in your mind of, okay, why, if they believed, did the, did the spirit of God not instantly dwell on them? Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money. And so it just goes into further details there. But you might have a question of why, why was there this delay? Why was there this delay in receiving the spirit? And most scholars believe that the reason this delay happened was because the church in Jerusalem needed proof or needed, I guess, an evidence to see that they were actually saved. And so this delay of the spirit was a, 
was an indication to the church in Jerusalem that, hey, these guys are just as much followers of Christ as you are. And this is a uh, proof that, that God has approved of them because his spirit is, is going into them um, when it's Peter and John lay their hands on them. And so I'm sure John could have other, other words, but know that the delay there is, is unique. It's not something that happens all the time. It, this was specific to that region. This was specific to Samaritans because again, this is really the, the start of when the gospel is spreading beyond just the Jews. It's spreading to the Samaritans um, and to the, the surrounding regions as well. So, Still, still mind blown over there? Yeah, I don't think it's... It's made some sense over the course of the last two years, but sure. there's still... You know, I think, I think the biggest question that comes about is spirit enters someone's heart, someone's soul. Yeah. I don't want to limit it to heart, but someone's soul beyond be- at the at the moment of belief, at the moment of confessing Christ as Savior. And so w- what is this? It says, I want to make sure I don't misquote this. Because um, the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. They had simply been baptized. So it's talking about these new believers, yeah. but the Spirit had not come upon any of them. Sure. Um, and so how are they believers if the Holy Spirit was not in them? Yeah, and, and that's and, chapter eight, by the way. Yeah, and I love that. I love that there are spaces in Scripture that are difficult, um, and they're difficult for deep theologians to look at and go, "This is why this is happening." Mm. Uh, and so, there's this cool character or nature of God that we have to hold on to um, in some spaces. Is that he he really does write the rules, and things that we want to prescribe as norm or uh, as like this is how it always should be he doesn't have to play by those rules. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, like I'm, I'm going to argue that, that once you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And part of the sealing of your salvation is the Holy spirit. And so, so I, I can just blanketly say like every individual that is a believer that has made that confession has the Holy spirit in them. And then you open this and you go, well, well why is this this way? Uh, because God does what he wants. That's the first part of it. Um, the second one is, is early on, you know, because what Pentecost, the, a couple of promises that Pentecost reveals or uh, reminds us of one, Jesus keeps his promises uh, Two, that this is the start of the spread of the gospel. This is the start of the church. This is people being sent out, empowered to do these things. And, and so it's going to be good for them to hear um, of other places to go to the Samaritans and go, oh, oh, you've made this confession. Um, well, what sets me apart from you maybe in this space is that I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. And, and there is a, a continual argument about uh, whether or not the Gentiles versus the Jews would even get the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a council, council called in Jerusalem to even discuss this. Yeah. And, and so this becomes part of the witness at the council to go, you can't make that claim because we literally saw it. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, gave the, it gave the apostles... Um, moving forward, some ammunition to be able to be like, hey, this is what they're actually literally walking. And you can't disregard the fact that God has offered salvation to them because he gave them his Holy Spirit. Um, and so that that's the part that I think where God can rewrite some rules and go, I'm going to function this way so that I can allow um, some things to move forward. And, and you can take that all the way back to the virgin birth. This is the easiest way to do this. The norm is that a man would be united with his wife and the two would be fruitful and multiply yeah. in a sexual manner. Jesus didn't play by that rule. Yeah. And, and so God's allowed to in spaces to do that, to, to, uh, 
push down the gas <laughs> as far as the, the vehicle that's carrying the gospel and make it go faster if he's needed to. So that, that's the part where I look at that and go, that's incredible. It sort of irks me a little. Yeah. Um, he's not playing by the rules. I'm thankful that I serve a God that can, I guess, um, do that and see what it reveals about him. Yeah, I think I think something a general principle for anybody listening, just in terms of this issue, in terms of any maybe conflicting thing that you think the scripture is saying. First of all, always cross reference things, and so notice again that this happens I think once or twice in the scriptures. And so again, we have to like what John was saying is with the virgin birth, we have to recognize which things are unique. And which things are normative or which things happen all the time or which things are supposed to happen. And so, again, remember that like everywhere in the epistles after this from Romans to Revelation, anytime that the spirit is mentioned, it's always at the it always comes on the believer at the point of belief. And the rest of scripture agrees with that. So you have to first know that, again, for anybody that believes in Christ, normally the spirit would instantly come on them. And so we have to, again, wonder why does this happen and again, John put it so beautifully that it's it's to prove that these people, these Gentiles, could be welcomed into the family of God as well. And so for anybody listening, know that when you at the moment when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Spirit came on you. And so again, this is a unique instance that just happened this one time. And so for instance, many people on on AM's campus are gonna tell you sometimes that that they they became followers of Christ, but that the Spirit didn't come into into them until this instance. And this is an area where you can just back, go back to the scriptures and say, okay, this was, this was unique. This isn't normative. This isn't the way that things normally happened. And it, again, we have to see the reason. The reason was that this, the church, the gospel was spreading to the Samaritans at this time for the first time. And this was a proof to that church in Jerusalem. Remember John said that Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, this was a proof to them in a completely different region that God had accepted the Samaritans too, because for thousands of years, the Israelites had thought that, that they were God's people and that only they were God's people, that only the Israelites were God's people. And so part of this again was a seal, like John mentioned that, that God was accepting the Samaritans too. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's not normative. It's unique. Yeah, that's good. And as you continue to read it, it talks about baptism. And so that's kind of the next question I think, um, naturally reading this is, is what does the Holy Spirit play or how is his role playing a part in, in baptism? Um, cause it says uh, that before that, um, where is it? Uh, they've been simply baptized in the name of Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Um, and obviously if you've been to a service, it's name of the father, son, and Holy Spirit, at least if you've been to our church. Sure. Um, and so what is, what is the spirit's role within, within baptism? I think we could probably point back to, to Jesus' baptism, um, a little bit, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we do baptism because of the, the model that Jesus put forth, because of the commandment that Jesus put forth, and we don't get into semantics on, you know, sprinkled, immersed, any of those things. Um, but, but just as a, a testimony um, before man that this is, or before your church, that this is the decision that you've made. Uh, to be part of the family of to be part of the family of Christ, and so there, there's nothing in this is what we teach in our baptism. So there's there's nothing um, salvific. <laughs> baptism doesn't save. We don't put special <laughs> special things in the water that that bring about some sort of weird change or cleanse um, by you being in there. Um, it is just a reflection of what has happened in your life as a testimony before the church that you are one of us. 
Uh, and so, but at the, the unique part of that is at Jesus's baptism, this is a challenging thing because here's this guy being baptized by John the Baptist, um, where, where you have the son present, this is Trinity argument. If you want, here's the son present, go to the baptism. Then you hear the father speak. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then the spirit descends on him like a dove. And so then you go, well, did he have the spirit before? Mm. Um, because I think the only way, and the argument is the only way that a fully human is sinless is that he's spirit led. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. And so that, that's the part of that, that you have to, you got to contend with, you got to wrestle with, but what happened at his baptism is that evidence or the clear representation of the spirit um, descending upon him. I'm going to argue that he was there before, but now the world gets to see at this point, the spirit's presence in this. And so as we, as we model that, we would go, I'm already a Christian, which means I'm already, already have the Holy Spirit, but I desire to live a life that is spirit filled in the same way that Jesus lived. Um, and this is my acts of obedience to God, allow the spirit to come alive more powerfully in me. Um, it's not a baptism by the Holy Spirit. Your gifts don't come alive in, the, yeah. in those places, but I believe that your giftedness or your being led by the spirit is more powerfully driven, not by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but by your obedience to God and in walking obedience, then the spirit more clearly leads you. Mm. That's, that's what I see in baptism. Um, and, and his, how he works through it. I, again, it would be cool if we could literally see the spirit descend on us every time we we're baptized or whatever that would, that would be cool. Um, maybe we can, you know, install a new light in the baptistry and just, just call it that mimic that. But, but really he's, he's not playing a role in it outside of it, except the spirit is the one that's going to drive you to obedience. And the spirit is the one that, that drives you more powerfully when you act in obedient manner. Uh, and so that that's where I connect those two. Yeah. The Greek word of the day for you listeners is hey. baptismanoi, which is basically the, the Greek word for baptized there in that verse. And so um, when it says that, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We have to understand again, that baptism word means uh, in its context, I mean, dip, submerge, but specifically of ceremonial dipping. And so it's this idea that these, these people had believed or they had been submerged in the truth of Christ as Lord and as savior. Um, and so clearly the spirit was present in working them to believe but yet the spirit had not completely submersed himself in them yet. And so it's this idea that the spirit was acting on them, but not in them because they had only believed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And yet the spirit wasn't present in them physically yet. And so we have to understand this, this, um, uh, what's the word, this tension that again, normally when the spirit brings you to belief, he's, he comes inside of you. And yet this hadn't happened yet again, for the reasons that we already mentioned. Um, and so note that there, that, that it's, it's, it's okay. Again, like we've said to, to be confused by this, because again, this was a unique instance. I think it's, um, important that we just connect this back to a lot of the, the things that don't make sense in scripture. A lot of the things that don't make sense in scripture are because they happened one time. Um, and so again, we just have to trust, like John said, the character of God that he knew best, um, and that, that in that context, it made sense to those people. And it did. It, it made sense to those, those people in this context because none of them were, were wondering why there was a delay. Because the church in Jerusalem, they knew and they, they understood. 
Hmm. So we should we should trust the character and heart of God. Yeah, that's good. These are just hard-hitting questions that I'm not stringing together really well, but I think these are just questions yeah. that people have about the Holy Spirit. So uh, I think next, it, it talks about laying on of hands. I don't know how I made this connection, but uh, I think spiritual gifts is something that rises up in people uh, when they hear about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to kind of open the floor. Like, what is a spiritual gift? Um, obviously, there, I think there's a big debate of are they all still active today and available today, which you can get into if you want. But uh, I guess just like what are what are spiritual gifts? Why are they important? Um, and what's kind of the role of of the spiritual gifts? I think maybe, I mean, we're, we're 28 minutes, so everybody knows. Um, b- before we go into that, one of the things, because we titled this podcast, The Pentecost, um, uh, we need to maybe not clarify, but just remind everybody uh, really quickly, like what what Pentecost brought and then why from this do we have these discussions or questions about spiritual gifts and whatnot? Because I, I mentioned it really quickly, but, but Pentecost that day that we see in Acts um, is a, is a simple reminder that, that God keeps his promises. He's not going to forsake us. Um, Jesus throughout is like, Hey, we're going to send a helper. He's going to come to you. He's going to be a comforter. He does all that. So like we see the promises met and the fact that even when Jesus leaves, he sends somebody that he calls better, um, for us, which is, which is wrapped up in this idea that he's just not going to forsake us. He's, he's there for us. He's not leaving us alone. All of those things are true. So, so Pentecost is a sweet reminder of that. But then more than that, what happened at Pentecost launched the global mission movement um, that spread all around the world. I've heard it said before that um, we wouldn't know about Easter without the Pentecost. Mm. Um, and, and that's just a, it's a cool way to think about that. Like the, the obedience of the apostles, sure. But, but what happened at Pentecost um, was the springboard, was the launching point for all of that. Uh, to happen. And so um, that was that was needed so that the the life, the death, the the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus would all be made known. Um, and that's most made known when people walk in obedience in their giftedness. And so it, when you understand that Pentecost was God keeping his promises, God just just showing us that he was he was near, that it was the the launch launch pad for a global mission movement. Um, but then in that it Pentecost not only like starts the mission movement, but also is just a cool reminder that um, there's going to be a day when things are completely restored. There's going to be a day of greater celebration that, that is to come um, for us. And so like what, what our ministry is walking through now with a lot of the, a lot of the minor prophets, this is what we're kind of contending with mm. is that destruction, death, difficulty, all of those things in the minor prophets. And then it always turns a corner and goes, but... there's coming a day. And for Israel, it it could have been then a a day of relief that maybe coming back from exile or something like that. But for us, it's bigger than that. Um, Like God's promise um, wrapped up in Jesus's again, in, in the gospel, what Jesus accomplished for us is this fuller restoration, this greater celebration that is to come. Um, And Pentecost points us clearly to the restoration of all things um, that, that is to come. And so, so if you would walk in that and, and walk in the confidence of that, then your spiritual gifts become less about you mm. um, and more about the gospel. They should always be that. And that's, we've taught this, this is the argument, like the reason that we serve, the reason you've been given gifts, all of those things is for the greater good, is for the greater good of the church, is for building up the church, is to love other people well. Um, and so that, that's where the gifts are wrapped up in that. And they are literally the gifts of the <laughs> spirit. 
And so, so that's the thing that we have to hold on to when we're, when we're thinking about gifts. Now we can have the discussion about that. So that took, it took a little time. That's good. Yeah. I mean, for, for those that are wondering about spiritual gifts, my first point is just to read first Corinthians 12 through 14. I think a lot of times we try to disconnect those chapters and we think that 13 is just a standalone chapter, but really read all three of those chapters together because it'll bring a lot of clarity. But I just want to read first Corinthians 12, four through seven, which says now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so like John mentioned, the purpose of spiritual gifts is always for the common good, for the good of the church, for the good of the people, for the good of the world. And so um, to answer that question, spiritual gifts are things or gifts given to you by the spirit for the common good. And so he goes on to mention that, that some people have faith for the common good. Some people have healing for the common good. Some people have prophecy or just telling the truth, telling the, the truth about the past and the, the future um, and the present. Some people have um, the gift of knowledge or hospitality or wisdom. All of these things, again, meant for the common good. And so that's that's the the purpose of spiritual gifts. Yeah. So so we talk about growing in our giftedness. What does what does that mean? Because uh, obviously the Spirit gives these gifts, and um, I think another question that kind of rises up. And so take this as you will, but just like, can't someone be giving can't someone be a leader can't someone be merciful or or have wisdom and so how is the balance of someone possessing these things versus it being a spiritual gift and then how do you kind of grow in the areas that um the lord has gifted you or given you a spiritual gift i'll be more specific um that's a good that's a good question um because i think it may be wrapped up in like like what do we what are we defining as spiritual gifts? Um, and depending on the, the church's stance on if they're continuous or not, um, for, for those spiritual gifts. Um, but when we think about like get past the defining of the spiritual gifts and just get into like, how do we, how do we grow or develop those? Um, one, uh, I think that uh, the church has probably done a disservice uh, often, maybe because we're afraid of it. Um, for for everyone universally, like the church just needs to teach on spiritual gifts um, in in the body. Like we just have to be better at that we don't shy away from passages of, of scripture. If you come to college service, I mean, we just kind of walk through walk through the Bible exegetically, and when we get to that point, we'll teach on it. I just don't think we've gotten to, to one of those. Maybe yeah. we need to be a little bit more intentional with that. That's just a shot. Um, myself and, and, but one of the things we hold really high, uh, to all of our college students, we talked about this this week, this week with high school students is that you have to know and then use your gifts. Like when you understand that your gifts are for a gift to build up the church, then you have to know what those gifts are, which again, goes back to us teaching, um, that, and then providing opportunities to exercise those spiritual gifts. And, and I made this statement too, that a lot of times when we think spiritual gifts, we go, do you have the gift of teaching? Do you have the gift of leading worship? Do you have the gift of preparing Bible studies? But we don't go, do you have the gift of hospitality? Do you have the gift of these ones that are invisible and become everybody's favorite? Yeah. You ask the college ministry, what, what's your favorite team? They're going to go a culinary team that serves us food. They're our favorite by far. Um, and so allowing people the opportunity to exercise their gifts. And, and, and so those are, that's the practical on the, on the church. But for the individual, anytime I've run across anybody who 
we had a junior high girl one time who went to a um, little bit more charismatic camp and came back and said that the pastor gave her the gift of tongues while she was there. She was like, everybody was speaking it. And I walked up and the pastor gave me the gift of tongues. And I was like, well, well, why did he do that? And I was like, he goes, well, it was a she. I was like, okay, well, why did she do that? So, because that's, that's what everybody wanted. And I said, well, you wanted the wrong gift. Like Mm -hmm. if she's handing out gifts to people, go for healing, like go for prophecy. Like those would be great. Mm. tongues is a difficult one. And, and so it, and I'll say that like, it's challenging. Do it. Does John believe that the gifts of the gift of tongues stopped then? No, but my understanding of the gift of tongues is a little bit different. I think I take a different approach to that too. Um, because I think the Bible gives a real prescriptive order on how to handle it. And I don't think the Bible would have given that to be recorded for eternity if it was going to die. Yeah. And so, so that part of it, it's not something we see because I think the church has perverted it and it's, it's broken. And so sometimes God silences those things, but Anytime somebody comes to me and she says, I, I have the gift of tongues. Can I use it on stage? I said, no. She's like, well, why? I said, because you don't know what it means yet. She's like, well, yeah, I do. I do this, this language thing. I was like, yeah, but you still don't know what that means. I need you to get in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. And so if, if you would just go do the hard work of looking at the text, of looking at scripture and going, this is my gift and this is how it functioned in the, in the life of the church or in the Bible, and this is how it became normal for the church to use it, then you come back to me. Um, and so that's what I'm always going to say first. Do you want to understand your gift more? You want to grow in your gift more Then understand what the Bible says about your gift. That's the first one. Yeah. I think a good, a good principle just to think about in your own life is just with your gifting, with your gifts, the things that you're good at, the things that it's clear that God has given you to be excelling in. You have to really check your heart and say, do I want to use these gifts for the purpose of self self exaltation or do I want to use these gifts for the, the purpose of group edification? So self-exaltation or group edification. And because I think a lot of times in the church, if we were honest, we, we, we view our gifts as just ways that people can know us, ways that people can praise us, pe- ways that people can like us and um, look at us in a, in a positive light. When, when again, the purpose of these gifts is to, to make everybody else's lives better. Because again, the purpose of these gifts is to bless. And so really, again, it goes into the, the thing that John was talking about with tongues or with prophecy. If you were to read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, there's a reason that Paul says that prophecy is better than tongues. And it's because prophecy builds up the church as a whole, whereas tongues, it's a lot harder to do that. And so even in your gifting, again, really check your heart of it. Is, is my purpose to, to get all the praise or is my purpose to, to build everybody else up, to edify the church? Because if, if your purpose isn't to build everybody up, then, then God's not going to give you these gifts. He's not, the Spirit's not going to indwell you with these gifts if your purpose and your, and your um, heart posture is wrong. Mm. Yeah, question there. He's looking at me. That's just looking at you. Thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll go this way. Get, and maybe I'll, I'll deal with something that nobody really cares about. Maybe, maybe I will. Um, because you're going to hear the argument about like spiritual gifts being the evidence of your salvation. And I, I kind of understand that with some people, but I, I'll always, I'll always ask clarifying questions when, when someone uses that. And so that would be baptism of the Holy Spirit, which gives you a prayer language, which, which that kind of thing. And, and so then that brings about the question, do I need to have, uh, clearly visible spiritual gifts to, to be the evidence of my salvation? Um, and so we already mentioned first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, 
just those verses alone where like maybe the gift of tongues is more clearly dealt with, what you're going to see Paul doing in that in those passages uh, is very different than by, he's not saying they're necessary for salvation. He's actually trying to minimize the use of them because they're difficult in the church. Yeah, They, they bring about a difficulty to the church. And so um, Romans 3.28, like we hold that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so it's hard for you to use an argument that, that my reflection of something I can do, even if it's a gift of the spirit, is needed for my salvation. That's not true. We're just justified by faith. Now, our gifts are for the building up and the betterment of the church. All of that's true. Uh, and, but we have to be careful about idolizing the gift instead of the one who gives it as an evidence for our salvation. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we nullify nullify the gospel um, in our life. If, if somebody teaches you, like, you need this, you for example, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, sometimes you don't even know, know what that means, but a lot of times they go, then it enables you to walk in your gifts. Uh and, and in that, if they're using that argument, then they're, they also have probably a perverted view of what salvation is. Uh, so, so we have to be careful about even trying to elevate, <laughs> elevate the gifts of the spirit rather than the spirit, mm. um, in us. That's the, that's the challenge. So that's good. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, did you have a thought? I was just going to ask like what, how important is it to, to figure out your spiritual gift or should you just walk in obedience with, with what the Lord is calling you and he's just going to rise that up? within you? Um, like, is it just going to be something that becomes super obvious? Cause I know there's like spiritual gift tests that people fill out to try, especially when they're a newer believer to try and figure out their spiritual gift or gifted giftedness, no gifts, multiple. Um, but every believer has at least one. Um, it's how important is it to like figure that out? Or is it something that, that comes more as you progress throughout your, your Christian life? I mean, I, th- I think it's both. I mean, you look at, again, you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and... Um, I mean, these, these guys back then didn't have no internet to take a spiritual <laughs> gifted test. Right. Hey, hey, Paul, where's the church website? I need to figure out my spiritual gift. Right. And you look at you look at 1 Corinthians 12 when it says one body with many members. The the body parts in your body, like the ear or the, the, the eye doesn't need to be told what to do. It just does what it does. Like it, it functions Mine within its purpose. <laughs> I guess sure. Zach's eyes don't work. <laughs> Neither do mine. If you if you didn't already know, I, I, me and Zach both have really bad eyes. But normally, normal people, their eyes just function without having to be told to. And I think that that's kind of a an insight to our spiritual gifts. In that, when we have the Spirit of God inside of us, when we function in obedience, our our natural giftings are just going to rise to the top. Um, but I think there is another aspect of you have to you have to willingly search and and seek the gifts. And I think it, it just goes to first, first Corinthians 12, um, 29, which says kind of what John was mentioning too: are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And he goes on to say that love is the most excellent gift. And so I think there is that balance that you should desire the gifts. You should know in your heart that because you are in Christ, you should desire the things of the spirit. You should desire the gifting of the spirit. Um, But at the same time, you should walk in the gifting that he's already given you. Because again, are, are all teachers are all, are all prophets. And so I think there's, again, there's balance where if, if you know what your gifting is, walk in it, but it's also proper and it's also godly to desire to be gifted in, in these other ways. Hmm. And what is that, 
what is that desiring of the gift that you should always want? Again, it's the, the more excellent way, the way of love. And so I think in the church, we, we do a disservice, again, like John was saying, that um, we, we like to exalt these gifts of, of teaching and leading and, and being the face. And yet Paul here is saying that really the most important gift is just love. The, the most important gift is love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that's kind of hinting at the tongues there and the prophecy. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so really check your heart in that it's good, again, to want these gifts. Um, and it's good to walk in the gifting that you have. But if, if you're not if you're not desiring the gift of love, then then what really do you have? That's all I got, bro. Yeah, so there, you got a final thought. Yeah, there, there's an article on Logos um, that that helps kind of think about uh, in simple ways pursuing gifts, and maybe this is an encouragement to you. You can just write down as you're thinking through. Like, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Um, I don't know if I'm a continuist or a cessationist, and I don't even know what those words mean um, that John just said. Um, but I, but I would, I would like to look at those more and, and it breaks it down. One, it, it says something where I said like, Hey, go to the Bible Two, look, look at the story that God is, is, is writing in you. Um, like if you go back to your, to your life story, God's already been working through you for your good, for his glory, um, to, to direct you in some ways that, that probably highlight like your natural ability, some things that you're passionate about, all of that. And so just look at your own life and then pray, like just, just pray and ask God. He's not trying to hide your spiritual gift from you and be like, Hey God, would you just reveal that? Would you give me opportunities to, to serve in ways that maybe I can more clearly recognize my spiritual gift or grow in my spiritual gift? Um, but because your spiritual gifts are for the good of others and for the building up of the church, then it would be wise for you to go to church. One, it would also be wise for you just to look around your church and go, I think that I'm passionate about this. Is this needed in my church? Can I make a, a place better? Can I support a place? Can I serve in a place that way? Um, and so if you're just looking at your church, looking at the local church, then God's going to reveal because he loves his bride. He's going to reveal ways that you can use your spiritual gift and you'll grow in it. Um, and then even like within the walls and probably outside of the walls uh, of the church, look for other ways that God is giving you opportunities to, to use your gifts and, and jump into those. Um, and maybe as you're exploring this, you may go, well, I, I've never taught the Bible. I don't know if I'm going to be good at teaching. Um, I've never practiced the art of evangelism. I don't know if I'm good at that. I admit, I don't like take steps to grab a hold of opportunities to, to use and develop your spiritual gifts. I mean, that that's, and, and I'll throw this curveball at everybody out there. Um, we'll read a lot of books from a lot of people and people that you go, they're hyper reformed. They're not going to function in these gifts. They don't believe in speaking in tongues. Um, go to listen to some of the stuff that Matt Chandler says. We talk about him a lot and like what the spirit is doing in him as far as his thought about the gifts. Uh, John Piper and uh, MacArthur went head to head uh, in the strange fire conference about their beliefs in that, because MacArthur is very much a cessationist. He believes the gift stopped and Piper is not. And, and Piper in that conference quotes all throughout like first Corinthians where, uh, where Paul or yeah, where Paul to the church is going, I advocate obedience or earnestly desire the higher gifts in chapter 12 uh, in chapter 14, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Uh, 1439, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. 
Um, he, like he, he grabs those texts and he goes, if they're a commandment to us, we should long yeah. to grow in our spiritual gifts. We should desire to know what they are. We should desire to walk in them. And those are spirit led things, not for you, yeah, for you, but not for your glory. It yeah. is for your good, for the building up of the church, for God's glory. And so we, we desire obedience to long for the spiritual gifts so that God can use them for his great name, not so much for us. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that puts a pretty good filter on you and how you can function in them. If you would just know the story that God's writing in you, know that he gives you those gifts, but he gives you those gifts for the church and that's where they're going to come alive. So get in church and see what happens. Good word. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully this is challenging to you because it's always challenging to me. It's always challenging to um, me. So, yeah. uh, if there's any questions that rise up, um, ask leaders, ask us on the podcast, uh, it's stuff we love talking about. So. I uh, hope this was helpful, and uh, we'll see you right back here next week. Actually, this Sunday with the sermon. Yay, we're back. But then STS, after that. seek the spirit. <laughs> STS, save the lost, said Jesus. <laughs> yep. Save the sisters. <laughs>